to this day, right now, you can't visit Caiaphas's tomb. Wait a minute, you found the, the high priest that's mentioned in the gospel? The guy who argued with Jesus, knew Jesus, you found his tomb and you built a playground over it. And no, no tourists can go there. Nobody can go there. No pilgrim can go there. Did the Vatican object? Did anybody object? No, nobody. Everybody's happy that it's literally physically covered up. Welcome to Crossing Face, where our Christian and Muslims speak about religion and politics. Uh, this is now... It's the largest multi-faith podcast uh, in the globe at presently. Um, today, I don't have my co-host, but I do have uh, Simcha Yakovlevich, who is a, a journalist, documentarian, writer, and uh, scholar on faith and religion, and someone who I've admired for years. And I was lucky enough to um, to make contact and to include him in the podcast. Very gracious of you to join me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So. Um, I've uh, sort of fetishized your your document your documentaries uh, over my the course of my religious uh, research, and uh, we initially uh, spoke about uh, the lost tomb of Jesus. Um, my first podcast is named Jesus Nails, which is based on the ossuary that you found, um, and so maybe we could t introduce us to your method of investigation uh investiga investigation towards faith groups and how uh you came about stumbling upon the tomb of jesus uh and 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 the, the the first documentary that we we ended up discussing okay i mean um i come from as you mentioned <clears throat> the world of journalism really uh, um uh, investigative journalism so like at the beginning of my career uh, my my stuff had award-winning shows on CNN, all over the place, right, HBO. And then I got involved in the world. I've always been interested. I'm, I'm a man of faith myself. Uh, I, I mean, I've gone through my own spiritual process, but basically what I bring to the table is uh, I've always been interested in history, archaeology, and my first film on the topic of kind of religion was uh, James brother of Jesus. And uh, if you will recall, that was a big story, front page story around the world because the, the headline said that um, there's hard archeological evidence of the existing existence of Jesus of Nazareth. For those that doubt it, I, I don't doubt that he existed, but that here now there's Hard archaeological evidence because they found an ossuary in Jerusalem in the in the in the private collection of a Jerusalem collector, Odet Golan, who uh, sorry Odet Golan, who uh, had he bought an ossuary he had in this private collection. Now, for those that don't know what an ossuary is, it's a bone box, so, and uh, you can go today in the old city of Jerusalem and go to an antiquity store, a licensed antiquity store, and buy an ossuary. So basically, it came from a tomb, and the 2,000-year-old tomb, because we know when these ossuaries were used. It was used from about 30 uh, before the Common Era, 30 BC, to, to about 70 AD, 70 Common Era, when the destruction of Jerusalem happened. So there's a window of about 100 years 
that Jews in the Jerusalem area and in the Galilee did something weird. Instead of burying people on the ground from dust to dust, as Jews did then and as Jews do now, um, they, uh, they, they buried people in tombs, which technically from a Jewish law point of view, counted as in the ground because these were caverns dug out either natural caves or dug out inside the ground and you created this tomb and and they put the bodies in there now if you want to know how they're buried all you have to do is read the gospels because that's the best description that there is of from that time of well, or roughly that time of what they call second scholars call secondary burial that means that when someone died instead of putting them in the ground the way Jews do now and then they they put them in in a cave and that counted as in the ground and a year later they would come back they would wrap the body in in a, in a prayer shawl or some kind of shroud hence the shroud of turin hence it's the description that you read in the gospels and they would wrap the body in a shroud and then come back a year a year and a half later when the flesh had desiccated and pick up the bones and uh, right, the flesh was no longer there. They pick up the bones and they would put the bones in a box, a limestone box that we now call an ossuary. Um, in Hebrew, uh, it comes from Greek, it was called it luskema, but it doesn't matter, a bone box. And they would put the bones in the box. The box is usually uh, the box is usually the let me turn the sound out here. The, the box is usually uh the the length of the uh, the femur, which is the longest bone that ever, every one of us has in our bodies. So there are little boxers. There's a guy who's very tall. There's big boxers and so on. And uh, some some of these tombs that were found have 10, 20. They were family tombs, so they might have many, many ossuaries in there over 100 years. And one box, and about 20% of them have inscriptions on them. And, uh, and uh, the inscriptions are there. They're not monumental ins inscriptions, meaning they're not there for, for show. They're there for the family to know who's buried where. Oh, this is, in this ossuary is Uncle So-and-so, and that ossuary is Aunt So-and-so. And one of these boxes had the words, uh, James... Hebrew version of that, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. It's a 2,000-year-old box from the time of Jesus, and it said, James, brother, uh, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. Now, for those who don't know, the Gospels are clear that he had a brother in the New Testament, the Christian Bible, that he had a brother named James, who was the leader of the Jesus movement, meaning the, the followers of Jesus after Jesus' and crucifixion. And... Uh, so, wow, it was this front page story around the world. And long story, I got the exclusive right to cover that story, and I made a documentary that aired on the History Channel in the United States and all over the world called James, Brother of Jesus. Now, the story became very, very interesting as several things happened. The ossuary was shipped to Canada to the Royal Ontario Museum. It broke. It had to be kind of glued back together. Uh, then there was an accusation that the ossuary is real and the, the 
the first part of the inscription, James, son of Joseph, is real. The second part. The accusation was that by the Israel Antiquities Authority, that the, known as the IAA, that the collector, Odet Golan, added the words, brother of Jesus. He faked that part so that his ossuary would be worth millions. And uh, the ossuary was confiscated. And there were numerous trials over many years with something like 150 experts. And all the journalists who had covered the story backed away from the story and said, oh, he's a faker. Uh, 60 Minutes said he's a faker. Uh, the two people that did not back away from the story was the late, great Herschel Shanks of blessed memory, who was the founder and the editor of BAR, Biblical Archaeology Review, and me. I stuck by my story. I said, he's no faker. I was there at the Royal Ontario Museum when they were, I had exclusive access to this ossuary to film it. I saw the experts glue it back together. When they glued it back together, the, when it broke, there was patina. Patina is that thin yeah. crust that, that de deposits itself over limestone or other things over thousands of years. You can't fake that. I saw it. They analyzed it. With an electron microscope, you know, I saw it inside the inscription of the brother of Jesus. Anyway, I stuck by my story, and 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 Odet Golan was totally vindicated, and uh, the ossuary was re uh, returned to him. But by that point, it wasn't a story anymore. Uh, he has it now. Anyway, I think it's on display now in Texas somewhere. Uh, as yeah. he, sorry. I said, I've seen it. It's in a box, you know, glass, you know, laid down. Yeah. Room. And, uh, yeah. you know, so, so, so this that, was the catalyst for you. To, that was to the start. catalyst. That was the catalyst for me because what I noticed is that the people involved in history, faith, theology, and uh, documentaries around it uh, were, didn't come from the world of investigative journalism as I had. They, they came from a different world where if some guy has a PhD, everybody bows down to him. I mean, I came from a world that you could be president of the United States and you asked very, you know, not pleasant questions. So I thought, wow, this is an interesting world that I can bring my tools of investigative documentarian journalism to bear on faith and archaeology, on not really faith, but on archaeology and history. Because I don't really get involved in faith. That has consequences in faith. But I don't get... People should believe what they believe. I don't tell them what to believe. And I don't... You know, I don't... I'm not a theologian. Um, but I am a good journalist and a good filmmaker. And my job after that became now for decades to report on biblical archaeology and other history but and other stories. But... For a long time, I had a series that's still airing on online, uh, the Naked Archaeologist. Who are the Naked Archaeologists? Which is I the first time I, you know, and you're closed right now, so uh, you know I, I don't know, but, uh, but right, that was my first introduction to you. You know, was it, uh, I I have a, a a little PTSD from the ending. But every time you hit a commercial, you are coming out of a tomb and. And, and, you know, in a, in a very celebratory sort of yes, you know, uh, coming out of that tomb, every chat before there was a commercial. Well, and it's, about... different, it's different tombs, different caves. But yeah. but the thing is that, that yes, I was to, uh, I am to archaeology what the naked chef is 
Meaning it's naked archaeologist was like archaeology without the nonsense, you know, and I'm actually doing a reboot. The naked archaeologist shall ride again. And, but there are 65 episodes out there. So I did that and I did, uh, uh, you know, uh, James Cameron uh, was gracious enough to executive produce a film I made about the biblical Exodus called The Exodus Decoded, which I show very clearly that there's lots of archaeological evidence for the biblical Exodus. Now, you could say it's God or it's not God or it's a tsunami or whatever you want to say. That's faith. But I reported that there's lots of uh, archaeological attestation from that time to the fact that, you know, the, the there was darkness and there was hail and there was a mass migration from Egypt to the Sinai, to the Promised Land, to Canaan, to the land of Israel. So I did that. I did the Lost Tomb of Jesus where I purport to uh, that, you know, one of the holiest places in Christendom is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, which is supposedly where Jesus was buried after the crucifixion, and where three days later he rose. I mean, it's it was built uh, by Helena, Constantine, uh, the emperor of uh, Rome, uh, his mother, and uh, it's supposedly, you know, for millions of uh Christian pilgrims, it's the place where Jesus was buried and rose. He walked out of that tomb that the church is built around. Uh, I argue that the archaeological evidence, I still argue, points to another tomb in uh, East Jew in, in, in an area of Jerusalem called Talpiot, um, and it's still there, the tomb. The, the ossuary, or Israel Antiquities Authority Warehouse, and so anyway, I started making all these films about biblical archaeology. Well, you, you followed this trail. I, I, I did a, 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 I think it was season three, I did an, I, an intelligence analysis of the resurrection, of, of the, the, the trial of, of Jesus. And so what my, my career is focused on, on really faith and, 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 and intelligence, faith and, and, um, and, and uh, international development, human rights. So freedom to believe not believe change choose so but but for the government it's always we have some an occurrence we have an instance can you do an analysis and and what i was fascinated with uh was that you were able to unpack the resurrection through a series of documentaries and find evidence i mean it, the, the physical places the ossuary for example of uh Archivus, um, uh, and 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 the, the the nails that were in there. There's no crucifixion nails that exist. Uh, uh, there's very few, I should say. Um, and then there's some of the crucifixion nails in some churches all over Europe. Uh, one in Brazil, I think. And uh, and so you were actually able to track down in country, you know, in 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 Israel, but 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 ancient Jerusalem, where everything is, physical evidence to, to, to justify these events where it, on one hand, proves that Jesus existed, which I know is a question I believe it existed too, has it existed, but you're able to track down evidence and then get there, have access, which is truly, it, it's a profound ability to be able to 
track something down and run it to uh, and not only a physical evidence, but then say, let's speculate on some of what's going on here. So their process is, is amazing to get to the point where you can actually be holding something in your hand or be physically somewhere and say, what happened here? So when you approached the, the, um, uh, you have the ossuary of, of, of Caiaphas or, or James, the Jesus tomb, when the, the moment when you get there, the moment when you see what's, when you're in the presence of what is, I mean, our calendar is in alignment with Jesus's birth, right? So it, how are you, what's the, what's, are you, what's the, so what, and what now it, it, you're, you're kind of there and then maybe, and you're saying to yourself, what, what's that moment in time? Cause we, I know that this Jesus tomb is, is, is sealed now and probably it's questionable whether you can get back there, but you were there. What's the, what was at that moment in time? We, what are you thinking? And then what's the next, what's the next sort of installment of this investigative journalism? Cause you really have followed this wonderful track to, to, uh, either a dead end or a point of multiple avenues. Okay. So let, let me, let me unpack that question. Uh, uh, first of all, I, I I don't I don't try to prove or uh, un- disprove the resurrection. The resurrection is uh, is a it's a faith thing, and uh, and I, I I wouldn't even know how to approach the, something like that. And it's not what I do. Uh, what I do is I I actually ask very simple questions. I'm like a very like like a kid. You know who says what's that who says you know like so and i follow very simple very very simple like detective work right like when when a detective gets to the scene of a crime he's not a scientist there's another guy who analyzes the dna and somebody else uh, uh, you know some you know doctor uh, woman analyzes the blood samples and so on i don't the detective doesn't do that. The detective, he doesn't measure, he doesn't do any of that. He puts those different, he kind of connects the dots, and that's what I do. I ask very simple questions like, what's the dot? So, for example, when you talk about the tomb, uh, the, the the crucifixion, uh, the crucifixion is. And remember, because these things are theologically, potentially uh, um, controversial, people tend to cover them up, right? They don't want trouble. So they, they find something and, and they don't want trou- trouble unless the thing that they find is not controversial. So they found a boat in the, in the Sea of Galilee, which is really a small lake in northern Israel that's called Kinneret in Hebrew, the Sea of Galilee in English. So they found a boat dating back to Jesus' time, an intact boat. Now that that's not theologically controversial. Nobody's going to get upset if you say that boat, Jesus probably sat in that very boat. He could have. He, 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 he was along the, 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 you know, the beach of, of the Sea of Galilee. That boat was somewhere on floating around. So he could have been sitting in that very boat. So if you say, I think he sat on that, in that boat. I think it's plausible. Nobody's going to attack you. Maybe yes, maybe no. But nobody's going to get upset with you. 
Sure. But if you suddenly come and you say, well, I think that the the actual crucifixion nails were found and they're sitting there in a drawer in a lab in Tel Aviv, then that may upset some people. Why would it upset some people? It wouldn't upset Christians theologically unless they belong to a church who claims to have the real nails. Right? Right. I said, wait a minute, you can't find them, we got them. But really all these nails that are running around Europe and stuff, they have absolutely no no basis in archaeology or history or whatever. They're just nails that somehow made it. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, scholars might be very embarrassed. Wait a minute. You've had the nails of Jesus, the actual crucifixion nails for decades, and you didn't realize that they were important? You know, so, so these things become controversial. So let me deal for a second with, with those nails to just show you my, my style. My style is very simple not very profound. Uh, a lot of these people, uh, I think, confuse people with very complicated questions and answers so that the audience starts thinking, oh, you got to have a PhD to figure this out. I, I don't believe you need a PhD. You just have to be a reasonable person. So, for example, they, they found hundreds of tombs in the Jerusalem area. Now, people find it, you know, one guy attacked me and said, well, you keep saying that you found things from Jesus' time, you know, it's so long ago. And my answer to that is, it's easier to find things from Jesus' time in Jerusalem than it is to find stuff from my grandparents' time in Eastern Europe because, right. of, the Holocaust, because of the Holocaust. The Nazis destroyed and the fascists destroyed Jewish cemeteries. And it's very, very difficult to find, uh, you know, graves that were destroyed, the gravestones were destroyed. But in Jesus' time, they did this secondary burial that's described in the Gospels. They put stuff in caves. And as described in the the Gospels, they rolled big stones that sealed the caves. And you know, those things last. Those things last. Those, if, if there wasn't an earthquake that broke into that particular tomb, and sometimes it was, but then they still last. They get water in there, things get damaged. But this, you know, we have tombs in Egypt. Once you put people in tombs, you you can find stuff from five thousand years ago. Yeah. And they're so, not that big. They're not that big. They're, no, these they're, tombs they're built in a way where they're going to support. You could you could be doing a ton of the construction over to over top of it. it they're very condensed. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what happened is that since 1967, uh, Israel, the modern state of Israel was born in the, you know, on the territory of the ancient state of Israel in, um, in 1948. And then, but not all of Jerusalem was in Israeli hands. In 1967, as a result of the Six Day War, all of Jerusalem fell to Israeli hands. And starting in 1970s, a lot of buildings started happening all over Jerusalem. Condominiums, apartment buildings, private homes, a lot of buildings. So suddenly you're building with tractors and, you know, stuff like that where no one had built. You know, nobody, you know, in, in thousands of years, there were just stuff on top. So suddenly they find the, the not the archaeologists, most of these finds are by, by tractors and builders. And suddenly they find hundreds of tombs from Jesus' time, a veritable phone book 
from that time because there have inscriptions on them. Remember, Jerusalem wasn't that big. It wasn't Manhattan. There were a couple of hundred thousand people maybe, and it wasn't millions. So so you, you start finding tombs of, and thousands of ossuaries. So one of them is Caiaphas, says Caiaphas, high priest. And it's such a no. unique name, right? Because afterwards, no one was named Caiaphas because well, that's of the his point. Yeah. Participation. Yeah. Now, scholars agree that it's not me, it's scholars that say, yeah, that's the guy, Joseph Caiaphas, that's the guy. That's his tomb. The guy who tried, was high priest at the time of Jesus of Nazareth, the guy who tried Caiaphas, who tried Jesus. The guy who touched Jesus, confronted Jesus, and sent Jesus to the Romans, to Pontius Pilate, who sent him to the cross. That's the guy. That's not me saying that. That's the guy. So what do I do? I say, wow, that's amazing, because I'm like a kid. And I go, that's amazing. Uh, you know, how come it's not a tourist attraction? Where is it? Well, it turns out the tomb, they build up children's playground on top of the tomb. To this day, right now, you can't visit Caiaphas's tomb. Wait a minute, you found the, the high priest that's mentioned in the gospel? The guy who argued with Jesus, knew Jesus? You found his tomb and you built, uh, 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 um, you built a playground over it? And no, no tourist can go there? Nobody can go there? No pilgrim can go there? The Vatican object? Did anybody object? No, nobody. Everybody's happy that it's literally physically covered up. So then I go to the Israel Antiquities Authority Library, and I go, what, what, wait a minute, what did they find in there? Like, is they just found Carthus's bone box? Are there other bone boxes there? Yeah, they found several. And our, normally, archaeologists, what they do, they draw things, they measure things, they photograph things. Well, it turns out they found two nails. And that's the only stuff. In, in the ossuary. One, one in the ossuary, one outside of the ossuary on the ground. And that's the only thing that wasn't photographed. One, that's the only thing that wasn't, uh, um, you know, drawn. Wait a minute. You, you found, it's like finding, you know, like thousands of years from now, somebody finds, you know, I don't know, Pele's tomb and right. there's a soccer, there's a soccer ball soccer in there ball. yeah and you ignore the soccer ball of the greatest soccer player you found the tomb of a of a of a high priest who's known to the planet earth for one thing and one thing only for having tried jesus and sent him to the romans who sent him to the cross and you find nails inside one nail inside his ossuary and you don't go, whoopsies, you know, what's that doing there? So we have a period of time where ossuaries were made and, and were utilized by, by the Jewish community. We have a name on the ossuary. And then there was a tradition, from what I understand, of putting things that meant something in your life in the ossuary. Is that true? No, actually. Yes and no. It, there was a tradition of putting things in the tomb. The, the ossuary, to put right in the ossuary, really had to have meant something. So we find something very interesting in that tomb. One of the women buried in that tomb had a coin in her skull. Now that's very important because 
not under Jewish tradition, but under Roman pagan tradition, even though she was a Jewess, you had you put a coin under the tongue of the deceased because they used that coin in the in the in the afterworld to pay uh you know the, the to pay to pay the boatman across the so the mythical river sticks to get into heaven, so to speak. So you put a coin. So here you have a, a Jewish high priest that's appointed by the Romans, and a woman in that tomb who could be his wife has a coin in in her skull. That's very significant. It shows you that those people were very Hellenized, very Romanized, very paganized. So it's very rare to find things in the actual ossuary because you got bones there and you don't bones there and you don't want to desecrate. You do find stuff in the tomb. You find oil lamps, you find perfume bottles. They could be there because they meant something to the deceased or just a good smell as the body was rotting. Uh, so you do find things. To find nails, nails is very... To find a nail inside an ossuary, I think, I think is unprecedented. Now, people may tell you, you know, academics after some academics said to me, oh, we found lots of nails. No, you didn't. What they do is that if 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 if, if there's a box that's been nailed, and then water entered the 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 tomb, and the wood, you know, kind of rotted, then you have nails on the ground because the wood rotted, and you don't have you don't have nails. And then if you look at these particular nails, and I had them analyzed at uh, uh, Professor Herskovich, uh, who's a forensic forensic. Uh, uh, an archaeologist at Tel Aviv University, they were bent at the bottom as you would a crucifixion nail, right? Because you don't want the ha the person being crucified to pull the nail right out of the wood, so you bend it on the other side. So they were they were crucifixion nails. Now, why would anybody be buried with crucifixion nails? Well, it turns out that people were buried with crucifixion people. People cared about crucifixion nails because these were martyrs, and it was considered that the the you know she touched the martyr the the martyr had sacrificed his life uh, or her life, and that you 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 touch the crucifixion. It was basically a good luck charm because it, it had you know it had been the ultimate sacrifice was paid for this person's beliefs. And uh, and people also in Romans, another kind of weird thing that was Romanization, Hellenization. Uh, you know, at, when they had um, uh, what do they call them? You know, when they had in in the, in the amphitheater, they had these um, gladiators and stuff related to gladiators that that w was considered uh, very very uh, uh, important. Uh, you know, like good luck charms, if you will, amulets. So you find a crucifixion nail in the in the ossuary of the man who's known for being associated with the crucifixion, that should be headline news around the world. Instead, it wasn't photographed, it wasn't reported. Uh, uh, when I reported it, uh, you know, we were, oh, yeah, Simpa thinks that he can find, you know, everything, you know, <laughs> nonsense you can't find crucifixion nails you can't do that 
never mind that it was, I didn't say it was crucifixion nails, it was, as Professor Herskovich said, it was her uh, crucifixion nails. So then I do what detectives do. Let's analyze the nails. Once I found them, I had to locate them. And uh, we did electron microscope, and guess what? There was, there was little slivers of wood still left on it. Huh. So, so, um, so we were able to actually learn a lot from those nails. And the reason one is on the, on the outside is, is because at some point, tomb robbers went into this tomb. And they're looking for stuff that they can sell. Uh, we're reaching inside the ossuary, and they find like a perfume bottle. Well, a 2,000-year-old perfume bottle can get you a little bit of money on the antiquities market. Rusty nails don't. So they threw one nail out. They left one nail in. Uh, and uh, those are the ones that used on the hands. The, the, the feet may have been tied. But anyway, um, yeah, we found it. And my, my approach was not that this proves this or that, proves resurrection. It doesn't prove resurrection. It doesn't prove not resurrection. It just, it just shows that what it does do is it raises questions that people don't want to ask. Why would Caiaphas, if he was the bad guy of the story, and if he thought that Jesus was a martyr, he buried with his bone, with his uh, nail, his nails. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he wasn't a bad guy. Maybe he didn't hate Jesus. Maybe, maybe he just felt bad for sending Jesus to the Romans. Maybe he didn't anticipate that, that Jesus would be crucified. Meaning, these nails raise questions, and apparently people don't want to ask these questions. You know, this is when I did the intelligence analysis. I go, well, you have Caiaphas, you have Joe of Arimathea, you have James. You know, these are all. Uh, members of the high members of the of the um, of the Jewish community at the time, Sanhedrin, you know, and so why are all these people co collaborating? And that was just if I was throwing this at me as a file, I said, well, let me analyze this from an intelligence perspective. Why, all these people that know and love him, who who, who James, for example, and Joe of Arimathea, are are uh, they're there before the crucifixion, you know, and like you said, not arguing whether or not the crucifixion happened. From an intelligence perspective, you have a trial in, in the middle of uh, um, uh, a Passover, which has never happened before or since. You know, so when something like that happens, it's strange. Um, and then you have uh, uh, these these collaborators. And so when I was analyzing it, that perspective is going, God, there's some unique things that surface to the top. And like you are, you're following the evidence. Not necessarily, we're not looking at not looking at it from a perspective of disproving a, a resurrection, um, but. But where do these questions lead? And so here you are, you're at a, you have Jesus nails. You have a tomb where I remember the analysis of who was in the tomb and the probability of all these names being in one tomb. Uh, and what does that mean? That's, you know, the, the, the Jesus tomb. Yeah. And that, and that, 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 that came to a conclusion with you, right? Well, yeah, they found you know, again, uh, uh, a tomb was unearthed in Talpiot in Jerusalem. In this tomb, which hadn't been reported for decades, and then when the BBC found out about it, it was poo-pooed and they just reported it, but that it was nothing. And then until I, I made a deal out of it, and uh, I investigated it, and I refound the tomb, because everybody said the tomb doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's, it's actually a 
I had to search for it and find it and had been sealed in a garden between some condominiums. Now, what's this tomb? This tomb has a bunch of ossuaries in it. And what did the ossuary say? Well, one says, uh, one name on it is Joseph. Another name is Mary. Another name is Jesus. Now, wait a minute, you might say. That's interesting. Now, the normal reaction that I got from scholars and people, well, lots of people were called Joseph. Lots of people were called Mary. Lots of people were called Jesus. Don't make, don't look for headlines. Wait a minute, has anybody gone, you know, and my answer was always, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, when you have all these names together, yeah, you're right. If thousands of years from now, somebody is digging around some cemetery uh, you know, in Liverpool, and they find, you know, Paul. It doesn't mean it's Paul McCarthy and they found, the, you know, the Beatles. But it, but it, but if you find Paul buried next to a guy named John, buried next to a guy named Ringo, then you did have, you did find the Beatles, right? <laughs> Probability is high, yeah. Yeah, you got you to gotta look at the names together. And, you know, all these guys, I remember a bunch of journalists, because this made front page news around the world, this uh, tomb and my film and my books that you can get about the Jesus family tomb. One with Professor Tabor, uh, one with uh, Dr. Charles Pellegrino. Uh, I've made, you can see my film online, uh, The Lost Tomb of Jesus, and, uh, and, and or read the books, get them on Amazon. You know, we, we go through the evidence right and one of the things i asked the archaeologists who who put it yeah it's not not that jesus not that jesus i said did you ever go you're an archaeologist i don't even know if you passed math 101 i'm not good at math i know that but as a detective what i would do before i would poo it and say lots of guys are called that did you ever go to a statistician or a professor of mathematics to see what are the odds that this cluster of names would appear in one tomb from the time of Jesus, and you know what are the odds that it is or isn't the tomb of Jesus? Well, in peer reviewed, you know, I went to Professor Forstein, uh, uh, who from uh, the University of Toronto, world expert in uh, in uh, in uh, you know what's called, you know, like uh, probability, and and he and he he wrote several peer-reviewed articles in the leading statistical journals in the world, and he was criticized because he said fifty it's fifteen hundred to one in favor of this being the tomb of Jesus, and his worst critics said, no, you overstated it. It's fifty fifty. Hmm. All right, I'll go with fifty fifty. Somebody tells you that tomb over there in Jerusalem, 50-50, it's the tomb of the entire family of Jesus. It's Jesus and everybody else. It, it, yeah, and and that, that's not a story? Yeah, yeah. And to this day, you know, I went once through LaGuardia, and as I was going through passport control, this man said, wait a minute, you're the guy with the Jesus, Jesus tomb. And I said, yeah, that's me. Then he says, well, it turned out to be nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So I said, why do you say that? 
And he said quite logically, because if it wasn't nonsense, I'd be hearing about it all, all the time. And I don't hear about it, so it must be nonsense. Well, no, there's another possibility that it isn't nonsense, but people are afraid of history because the history might conflict with theology. So you're, you're, you've been to these amazing places by sheer will, you know, you're, I, I'm a product of the Colombo mysteries, you know, so, you know, just one more thing and, you know, Peter Falk and, and, uh, and so getting to the, the answer of the murder, right? So, so to speak, and, um, and uh, you're, you've asked these questions, you've had these wondrous moments in time where you've been, you've held the Jesus nails, you've been in the tomb, you've been uh, seeing the James Oshawa Lord. You're in, investigating all these, 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 these simple questions that lead to a complex question from there. What what do you what's the what's the what are you doing with that now? So what's the what some of these documentaries you know ten years old and so forth? Where are you going now with this? And now that you have this body of knowledge behind you, and the questions are still there, and what's the what's the what's the next frontier for this the the questions that you're asking? Well, you know, I also wrote not that long ago. Uh, a book with Professor Wilson, Barry Wilson, called uh, The Lost Gospel. Because I didn't, you know, they found this um, document that's, uh, you know, centuries old that I think, and Professor Wilson thinks, are, uh, are is an encoded gospel. When the gospels were canonized, anything that wasn't one of the four gospels had to be burned and uh, if you didn't want to burn your gospel, you either encoded it or you hid it. Like in Nag Hammadi, they found all these Gnostic gospels. Basically, there were gospels that at one point were as gospely as any other gospel. Yeah. But once once Constantine decided what's what's good and what's bad, it became, you know, stuff that you better hide or you're going to get burned along with your gospel. So we, we wrote a book called The Lost Gospel, and I think it tells, uh, you know, the untold history of, of the, the, the Jesus movement, the early Jesus movement, the real history, the history as opposed to the theology, okay? But when you ask, what are you going to do with all this? Well, um, you know, I make documentaries and I write books, and at some point, other people have to pick up the torch and run with it uh, because I'm a journalist. All I can do, and a filmmaker, all I can do is report the findings. I can't force, you know, uh, history departments to take the findings history uh, seriously. Uh, at some point, I'll probably make another film, and I'll make, uh, I'll write another book. I mean, at one point, my my first book on the Jesus Stone we made number five on the New York Times bestselling list. So, and then it was like attacked by people who hadn't even read the book. And uh, it aired once on Discovery. And then there was such, uh, you know, I was attacked by the head of the Catholic League and all kind of stuff because they felt that if he's right, if this is Jesus' tomb as opposed to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, then, you know, the, the, he's attacking resurrection and all kinds of stuff that wasn't even in my, in my film. But, um, 
so what happened was that uh, there was so much protest that Discovery aired it once, even though it was the highest rated film in two years, it never aired again. And in the UK, The Lost Home of Jesus was purchased by Channel 4 and then never aired. Ah. And uh, and uh, when I said, you know, hey, you're not airing it, said so that's our business, maybe it's not good enough. I said, if it's not good enough, let me buy it back. I'll give you all your money back. Give it back to me. They wouldn't give it back to me. They bought it so as not to air it. Huh. So, so at that time. So... um. So what can I tell you? Uh, all I can do is report the findings. I can't force people to to take them seriously. But, you know, they have a following. Millions of people have seen, and some of them are controversial in, in a good way, and some people get upset. The, the Exodus Decoded has had millions and millions of views, and, and Christians, Jews, and Muslims all love it, love it, because... Um, you know, the people who are upset are the, the, the people who don't believe in the Exodus story because they said it didn't happen. It's a myth. And here I am reporting, no, no, the tombs are there, the the archaeology is there, the cuneiform is there. It happened. Now, I, I connect it uh, to the uh, eruption of the volcano Santorini off the coast of Greece and show, you know, now... You know, I don't get into miracles. I, I believe, I'm a believer, so I believe that if if an eruption happens just when you need it, that's a miracle, right? But but if you don't want to believe, then you say, oh, it was an eruption and it has nothing to do with God. Well, that's your choice. That's theology. That's faith. You do it. But what I can tell you is that every one of the biblical plagues can be attested to in the hieroglyphics. There was darkness. It came from... Uh, an ash cloud, ash cloud from the Santorini eruption. Uh, there was hail, and the the Bible says that the hail was uh, fire in in the in the center, and uh, and cold on the out, and ice on the outside. Now, volcanologists call the, that accretionary lapilli. When there, when there's an eruption, it throws the lava in you know way up into the stratosphere, and it comes back in. Through the atmosphere, what you have is lava that that accumulates ice on on the outside, and when it lands, it can actually hurt you, kill you if it's big enough. And uh, and if you looked at it on the ground, it would look like ice on the outside and fire on the inside, exactly as the Book of Exodus describes. So 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 some people might say, well, then you prove that it happened, but it has nothing to do with God. Well, that's their choice. That's their faith choice. What I can do is say it happened. It happened. The Exodus story happened, and it happened exactly the way the book of Exodus describes. So what I'm saying is people of faith, uh, uh, there's two there's different communities. There's the faith community. There's the institutionalized religion. Was, uh, you know, If you were running the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and you've got millions of visitors, you don't want them to stop visiting your your site and visiting another site, Simcha site over there. Uh, and there's uh, the scholars that are embarrassed sometimes that they had this knowledge under their nose and they didn't, they didn't, why is he making headlines? I was, you know, I've known about this for years. Well, you didn't report it. Right. And they, and they, and then you're not, but you're not of their qualifications. So 
it becomes a, a, a you know it's, it's you're looking for sensationalism as a journalist which yeah that's what they say and they say you don't have a phd in archaeology and i say no but i have a degree in philosophy and i taught uh logic 101 and you wouldn't pass <laughs> because it, it, you could you could have a degree in in history but if you got to also be logical and a lot of these guys uh really don't know don't have the basis they should have like they draw conclusions that have never actually been trained in drawing conclusions. So anyway, so when you say, where are you going with this? Well, I continue reporting. I continue reporting and I continue making films. I'm not retired. I make films. I write books. And where it all, where it all go, I don't know. So, you know, interestingly enough, you know, one time I was being interviewed after uh, my book, uh, I think it was the Lost Gospel, actually. I was being interviewed in uh, Montreal. I was born in Israel. I grew up in Montreal. I speak French. And I was interviewed on French um, television. And uh, this guy became, you know, he's Catholic, and he was very aggressive towards me, the interviewer. He said, before I ask you questions about your book, you're, you're a Jew, right? I said, yeah, I'm an Orthodox Jew. And he said, why are you messing with my religion? Huh. You know? So that's what he asked me. And I said, you know, we Jews answer questions with questions. <laughs> uh, you, obviously. So let me let me ask you first a question before I answer your question. He said, you believe in the second coming, don't you? He goes, yeah. And I said, you know, as far as you're concerned, Jesus could walk into the studio right now. He goes, yeah. I said, well, if you did, you'd want to interview him, wouldn't you? He said, yeah. I said, but he doesn't speak French, never came to Montreal. He was born and died in the place that I was born, where I live, Israel. He spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. If you wanted to interview him, I would have to translate for you. Also, we know that he would want to eat. There's, you know, everybody talks about the Last Supper, but there was a, there was a, a meal after the resurrection, according to the Gospels. Right, he met some people on the road, and he went and he had a meal. So if he walked in now and wanted to have a meal, he wouldn't eat your food because it's not kosher. He'd he'd want to know Simcha. Do you have a sandwich in your kosher sandwich in your satchel there that I can have? Because the Gospels call him a rabbi, not me. The Gospels, Mary Magdalene, when she sees him, you know, says Rabbeinu, my rabbi. So he obviously ate kosher. So. He, he wouldn't eat your food. Hey, well, the question for you is, yeah. so he, he said, okay, let's move on. So, you know, uh, some of the, the wrong agendas, my agenda is simple. Uh, I'm very interested in my history. Jesus is, a, I'm interested in world history, but I did a series on the transatlantic slave trip called Enslaved, and I did that with Samuel L. Jackson, the legendary Samuel L. Jackson. But I'm also interested in my history, and I'll continue reporting on my history. And obviously, some of it has implications for Christians and Muslims and Jews around the world. I appreciate you taking the time. It's very thoughtful of you and, uh, and uh, very gracious of you to, to, to answer some of these questions. I hope that you can return and we can talk with more specificity about some of the new projects that you're doing. 
Thanks so much. Sure. Love to.